0: You found us through fly fishing. You'll stay for our passion and the community. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Podcast. Yeah, but he doesn't get it. How come fly fishermen don't get it? You only haul with the short power snap.
1: Look for where people walk and the insides of bends and and hunt those.
0: The roof blew off and the interior walls got sucked out and the trees are just coming up. And I mean, he's clearly not gonna clear the trees.
1: It is not a fly fishing story. It's a story about me trying to understand my brother through fly fishing.
0: Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. Today's episode is sponsored by Stonefly Nets, who is putting quality before quantity with their handcrafted custom wood landing nets. When Ethan designs your net, it's his hope and goal to help you form lasting memories every time you're on the water. You can head over to wetflyswing.com slash stonefly right now to get started. That's S-T-O-N-E-F-L-Y. You support this podcast by clicking through that link to Stonefly online. Eastern Idaho's Yellowstone-Teton Territory, Idaho's most renowned zone for fly fishing. From the Henry's Fork to the South Fork of the Snake and all the high alpine lakes and streams in between, Yellowstone, Teton Territory provides anglers and other outdoor enthusiasts with all the information they need to plan their next big trip. You can visit wetflyswing.com Teton right now to get the full list of outfitters, lodges, fly shops, and all kinds of inspiration to get you started on your next trip to eastern Idaho. That's Teton, T-E-T-O-N, wetflyswing.com Teton. We've been waiting for you. Follow our guests. Follow us on Instagram and share this episode and the love if you enjoy this podcast. And we are live in three, two, one. How you doing? At one. Hi, Dave. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, thanks for coming back here. We we've, we've been talking about this uh, kind of behind the scenes. Uh, we had an episode that we did with you uh, not too long ago. It was uh, episode uh, four four twenty four. Yeah, and, uh, and we talked Euro-niffing and things like that. So we're going to do a quick little update and then talk about this trip that you did with the winner of this event we had. So I want to talk about that. So let's start with a real quick update on, uh, I guess, gosh, I think we did it late last year. But what's been going on since you've been just busy fishing this this year? So
1: we've been busy and I just let go uh, Yannick Riviere. He was, on, he was with me for the past 19 days or something like this. 16 days i don't remember uh but he was here giving seminar used to be on the french team it's a fabulous angler it's like watching harry potter on the river
0: oh wow well and now who is this again so his name is yannick and uh
1: yannick has been on the french team for eight years
0: okay how do you spell that how do you spell his name
1: it's y-n-n-i-c-k and his last name is river In French, would
0: see the rivière. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's really his last name. That's amazing. I mean, yeah. If you have a name like this, why not? (laughs) Yeah. You have to be (laughs) something to do with the water. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yannick Riviere Yeah. Right there. Thefloatingfly.com. Yeah.
1: So this is, this is, uh, he does, he does all those things. And it's just like, go
0: ahead. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. There you go. Perfect. So this is awesome. Yeah. He's got a, okay. So you were hanging out with him. And what was that? He's just an old friend. You guys are just fishing, doing some stuff. So he's
1: an old friend, and what he did is, last year was his first trip to the U.S., and uh, we spent two weeks on the Farmington River, and it was very interesting and kind of a lot of fun. We did a few seminars, three or four seminars with people, last minute type thing, and it was not very organized. It was just try to see what was out there and what could we do with the whole thing and uh this year was much more organized we had he came along with seven other french people it was a whole thing i mean it was like herding cats <laughs> it was just impossible and then for four days for a whole week we guided four of them yannick and i we guided four of them and we were planning on going on the Housatonic, and that's Virtually, is when they arrived, the day after they arrived, I put them on the Farmington River and 20 minutes later, the water went up two feet in no time. And then that was the end of the Farmington for the past two weeks. Oh, wow. So change of plans, running around like Maniac, looking for other source of places where we could fish. I mean, it's been like chaos. But uh, we managed all this. They all had a blast. We went one day striper fishing. I mean, they caught huge fish. So we, on the 14th of July, I took them out. We had two boats. We all hump on boats. We put the American flag on the boat. Underneath, we put a French flag, and off we were uh, striper fishing. And we caught a whole bunch, and then we stopped for lunch. So we stopped at Hibop, and we had a lobster feast. And after the lobster feast, we went back in the ocean, fished some more, then went back to shore, drove to Mystic, had some touristy business, ate some ice cream, picked <laughs> up some presents for their wife, and then back to uh, back to the Farmington. So that was a, that was a fabulous day.
0: Yeah, it sounds like a vacation. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. And then we we fish on the Swift River in Massachusetts most of the time.
0: Right. Yeah, Massachusetts, and that's a place that we haven't talked a lot about, but that's just up north of you, right?
1: Yeah. It's about an hour and 15, an hour and 20 minutes north. It's a beautiful river. It's all sight fishing. You can see the fish. The fish sees you. It's like, you look at them, it's like you and me, we are going to have fun. (laughs) Right. Right. Gosh,
0: that's crazy. And, And so in the Farmington, the flow's going up. Is that something that you have no idea? There's no way to plan that? Do they not let, like, why is that going up?
1: So what happened is we had a series of problems with the dam recently. Uh, I'm not going to get deep into the subject, but the thing is the dam was full and we had that tremendous storm that came in and dumped, you know, seven or nine inches of rain in like half an hour.
0: What? Wait, how much? Seven inches in?
1: In a half an hour. What? Oh yeah. It just downpoured, deluge. I mean, it was like buckets of water falling off. That's crazy. I've never seen rain like this. Absolutely unbelievable. And the river went from, well, the still river went from, it's not the dam too much. The dam didn't move, but the, the still river went up from 75 CFS and it went up to 7,000 CFS in a matter of an hour. And it just went up just so fast. You could see the water go up visually.
0: It was tremendous. Oh man, that is crazy. yeah, I, I've been around. yeah, that's that's nuts.
1: yeah, and then you know you look at the whole thing, Vermont got hit also by that storm, and one of their dam broke. So that went into the Connecticut River. So the Army Corps say, "Oh, hold on the water everywhere else. We can't handle that much water in the Connecticut River. And then next thing you know, the still river on our side goes down, and now here it goes, they open
0: the dam. yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I forgot about that.
1: Oh yeah! So the the whole thing took two weeks to fix. So just on time for my two weeks with them. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. No, I forgot about that. Yeah, you guys got a ton of rain, and that's seven yep. inches of rain in twenty four hours is just unbelievable.
1: Yeah, all together, our two weeks. We fished one day on the Farmington. That was it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Right. Well, and I wanted to talk about that the Farmington today, and maybe some other rivers in Connecticut around that part of the the uh, the country. Uh, but let's maybe go back to the trip. So we had this um, winner that won a trip with you. Let's talk about that. Who was the who was the person and you took him out, guy? And let's talk about where you guys went, how how that went.
1: Well, that was nice. Uh, a very nice dude. It uh, arrived, and he was uh, what was his name again?
0: Yeah, what was his name? I got it. Uh, oh, yeah, 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 I'm terrible with names. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. We'll, we'll we'll add that in the show notes. We're gonna we're gonna actually talk to him. We're gonna bring him back. Yeah. But go ahead.
1: Uh so I met him we uh we I asked him what he wanted to do and this and that then we came up on a on a common plan we did all bunch of stuff together we caught fish we were on around it was very interesting a very pleasant guy wonderful day on the river yeah it was great which
0: river did you guys hit
1: we were on the Farmington
0: yeah you were on the Farmington and and that was was that what was that a, a few months what month was that
1: that was in May or
0: June. May or June. Yeah, I can't remember. The problem is that I've had like virtually
1: five days off since April fifteenth. No kidding. Oh yeah, so it's it's like it's like it doesn't stop.
0: Oh wow! So you're working around the clock, seven days a week, if you can.
1: Yes. Yes. Yeah, because I'm not going to make money in December. So no, right.
0: So that's what happens. So your season. Your when does your season end? When do you stop getting clients? So the
1: season is fairly busy all the way. There's a slight slowdown usually at the beginning of September. I guess that's to do with the kids going back to school, people changing from their summer to winter outfit, whatever it is. Uh, I don't know exactly why, but it's always like a calm. There's a, a 10 days calm at the beginning of September. And then it picks right back up. And then during the, when the leaves fall, usually we have a slowdown. Which is too bad. Well, the fishing, the problem is the fishing is difficult because you're catching a lot of leaves, but it's beautiful outside. I mean, it's
0: just gorgeous. Right. But you're getting all the fall, the falls. Yeah.
1: Then when the leaves, yeah, when the leaves are done, the fish are done spawning, Uh, we're right back in. And we get about half time busy all the way to Christmas. And then after that, nothing. It dies out completely. And that's the end of that until, until we get better days, which is after the winter
0: after the winter so after and that is what what would be the earliest in the the year you would start fishing
1: uh like five years ago we had a very mild winter and we started fishing mid-march
0: yeah mid-march uh
1: but usually mid-april is you know end of march mid-april somewhere around there it changes every year it really depends on what the weather does
0: okay so roughly mid yeah so springtime so and what are you doing during the uh, the December, the four months in the off-season, just kind of kicking back?
1: I do a few things. I tie a lot of flies. I build a lot of watches. Oh, that's right. That's my hobby. Yeah. I relax myself. I look in my microscope into a little movement, automatic, and I lose myself real quick in there. It's wonderful. It's very therapeutic for me. I do that. I do a lot of leaders. I build a lot of leaders. I set up myself in the winter for the spring because as soon as the spring starts, I have no no time to do nothing. So that's
0: right. Wow. So you uh, so yeah, you're just packing. So right now it's in. It's coming up. It's August. You know. So you're right in like pretty much the peak of the of your season.
1: We're in the peak of the season now. Start things are going to start to probably slow down a little bit. Uh, but not much. mean, it's, it's still fairly busy. Instead of being busy seven days a week, I'll be busy six days a week.
0: Six days a week. Gotcha. Okay. Well, let's look at, you know, there are a few, you know, obviously there's a lot of big States around you. Um, I wanted to kind of walk through Connecticut and talk about some of the rivers there. So we, we mentioned the Farrington, maybe we can do a run through with some of the big, if somebody was, you know, wanted to fish Connecticut, was going there new to fishing, give us a few of the top, you know, say whatever, eight, nine, 10 rivers.
1: We have the Housatonic. The Housatonic is a beautiful river. It fish extremely well in the fall and in the spring. Uh, If you're a pike or bass guy uh, in the summer, it's wonderful. You can drift that river. That's probably the best way to deal with it. It's a big river. It's twice as big as the Farmington. Oh, wow. Probably maybe more. It's quite a bit of water going down. Uh, so a boat, a boat, is, you know, when I mean, you drift boat in there and you feel like you're in Montana or somewhere, it's just, yeah, it's beautiful. And then we have the Nogatok River, the Mill River, the Mayanus River, all the way down south near Stamford, Bridgeport, Greenwich, all those areas. So those are tiny little streams. Uh, they get hot in the summer, but they can still produce quite a few nice fish. The mill River stay cold. Even if it's very small and very tiny, it's still cold. It's still good water to fish. And then uh, we have one in Amden that nobody fished. But it's very small, but it's beautiful. And then the Farmington, obviously. And the Farmington is, is probably the biggest, the most well-known river in Connecticut.
0: It is. That is the most well-known.
1: Yeah. And then we have to go out of state. But Connecticut has plenty to offer. And very often people don't realize this, you know, it, it looks like well, we are the lost state on between New York and Boston. And, you know, there is no attraction there. Well, guess what? We have beautiful river for fishing and you should come. Right, right, right.
0: Yeah. And I guess, like you said, last time you could add in some of your saltwater fit, like we probably add in striper fishing, right?
1: Oh yeah, the striper fishing is outstanding. You take a boat and you drive a little bit off uh, off the coast, and you tuna fishing. It's, just, it's it's tremendous.
0: Right, right, yeah, yeah, okay. I'm seeing a few of these. Yeah, Houstonic, and then the um, the Mayaness Mayanes River,
1: the Mayaness, the Nogato, the Mill.
0: Yeah, what about the what about the Moose Mooseup River? The Mooseup River. So there's the Mooseup, and then there's also the. i was looking at a blog post. The Nogatuck River.
1: Yeah, the Nogatog. That's interesting. The Nogatog, they release uh salmon in there.
0: Oh, they do. They release salmon in there.
1: Yeah. The thing is they have uh, they have a program where they release fry salmon in most river in Connecticut.
0: Oh, no kidding.
1: Yes. And uh I don't know how successful it is, but anyway.
0: Yeah, how is that? So they're releasing they're releasing fry in in the rivers for who? Is this for fishermen that are fishing the rivers or for other
1: so no, they're releasing fries that are, what, maybe four inches long, three inches long, little guys. Yep. And the idea would be for those little guys to get bigger. And after two, three years, they would reach, you know, the 18 range inches, kind of. That would be big enough for them to swim downstream, to go through all the pike water and those nasty fish that want to eat them. And they're big enough to survive that. And then go to the ocean and then swim in there, eat in there, uh, get strong, get big, and come back to uh, lay eggs. So that's the idea. Gotcha. Uh, It's not been very, very successful.
0: Right. You don't see a ton of salmon. There's not like a ton of anglers fishing for salmon there.
1: Yeah. You never know with those things. You know, those things, like suddenly out of nowhere, you could have like four or 500 salmon coming out of nowhere and wants to go up your river. I mean, you know, that's nature. You can't help it. So
0: who knows? Who knows? Right, right, right. So basically, yeah, you have a lot of, there's a lot of rivers, you know, a bunch of them we'll put, and I'll put a link to this blog post. Uh, this is from drifthook.com and it's uh, like 15 places in Connecticut. I'll put a link so people can take a look at that. But so what would you, you know, if somebody's coming right now listening and they want to, they're going to be near Connecticut in Connecticut fishing. What's the number one? What's the one you, where you would be thinking if you're planning out for next year, where would they be going?
1: The number
0: one is by far the Farmington. Why is that one the number one?
1: Well, we have we have a dam with a bottom release gates, and that provides us with cold water all year round. Usually, even in the dead of summer, we are still fishing in there because water are under the sixty degree mark. So, I mean, it's it's very trout friendly, and uh, we have stockfish, we have holdover, and we have a beautiful population of wild brown in the river. And it's a very successful uh, story. We have more and more big brown, wild big brown on the river hmm. every year. Every year we see bigger one, uh, more than one. We see a lot of them, and they're all over the river. It's not just one spot. They're anywhere from Collinsville all the way up, and there's some even downstream from Collinsville. They're big fish all the way to uh, all the way to Pipeline or Riverton. You know, and then, then you see, you know, more stockfish, more their zone for them. Then the TMA is loaded with big fish. I see. Yeah.
0: So the brown, and they get, uh, and you probably am guessing some pretty good sized browns in there.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, two years ago, I think somebody caught something around 29 inches. Oh, wow. That's yeah. huge fish.
0: That's gigantic.
1: That's a huge brown. think you know, the biggest one I ever caught on the Baton Kill in Vermont was 26, 27. And they're bigger fish on the Farmington.
0: Right, right, right. How is when you look at some of the states here, Connecticut versus, say, Vermont? Is it just? I mean, Vermont's up north. Is there some a lot of similarities between the two as far as like say the Farmington and some of the rivers up there?
1: The main similarity will be the bugs. We have very similar bug population.
0: Okay. You mean just like the, the some of the dry fly hatches throughout the year?
1: Correct. And then, uh, but the biggest difference, I would say, and it's I. You know, it's, we can't say whatever. It's like, you know, everybody would say, oh, if you can catch fish here, you can catch fish everywhere. And it's each river is different. Each river has its own way of living, own way of dealing with. I mean, on the Battenkill, kill, you could have a fish, you know, 50 feet away on the other bank, uh, rising. You put half a foot in the river and that fish stop. And then he's down. And he's not coming up. He's not coming up anytime soon.
0: Right. So you got one shot at him.
1: Right. Uh, the Farmington on the other hand, uh, the fish will come and swim between your legs. They couldn't care less about you, but they see a fly not well presented or a piece of tippet that's too big, and they run for cover. So each river has its own you know, temperament, lifestyle, and the fish react differently depending on where they are. But I think every river has its difficulties and every river has their easy point. And you just got to figure that one out.
0: Yeah. And what is the, is the Farmington, is there a lot of area to fish? Like, where would you start if you were driving up there? How would you figure out where to go?
1: If I would start driving up there, I would start from the section between uh, New Hartford and Riverton. You have a huge TMA in there. You have access, very easy access all along the river. It's loaded with fish. And uh, no, it's uh, it's uh, that would be the best thing. You know, you just go to the to that little store called Upcountry, or you go to the Orvis Avon.
0: Mm, Avon, right. Oh, there's an Orvis store in Avon?
1: Yeah, there's an Orvis store in Avon. And you go there, you ask them for info. They will they will give you info where to go, what to do. Even the store in Darien, for people who live down south, they know the river. We talk to them all the time. And, and it, it's very easy to, to get information for it. You buy that little book which has every pool on the river
0: what book is that there's a book on on the farmington
1: it's the farmington river Angler association that put a book out with all the pools and so it's a little outdated and a little old but uh it's still i mean a great source of information and if you know that that book by heart you're in good shape okay but you know it tells you where to go and the real thing to do is when you go to all those pools that have names and are you know designed to receive angler, don't go where everybody is. Just go you know a hundred yard, yards, two hundred yards upstream or downstream from it, and there is more fish there you can that we can think of.
0: Okay, and if we were you know I guess going back to this, if we were going to be setting up a trip, would it you know whether that's May, June, July, August, you know what it would be the is it spring? Is that usually the best time? Or let's say we we're going to hit some dry flies, what would be the, the recommendation?
1: So the dry fly is so again, it's it's usually it's been very difficult because the the climate changing has affected our bugs. I mean, that's worldwide. It's not just uh, we see, and I see this in Vermont, I see this in all over the place. So but the best probably the best month would be end of May, June. Even July usually is very, very good.
0: Mm-hmm. Even July.
1: Oh yeah. So those those are May. May, June, July are usually all three very, very good months.
0: May June, July this
1: year we have not been especially blessed with that, but you know, we had we had issues with our bugs this year because of the dam.
0: Oh right, right, right. What's a typical if in a typical year, if you were going in there late June, July, what would be the the bugs hatching in that period?
1: So late June, July, you have a bunch of ISO, you have sulfur, you have a bunch of cadets, you have, I mean, you have a whole array of bugs. And that that makes life very easy. So you, you pick up an hatch downstream uh, early in the morning, mid-morning, you pick one uh, way upstream, you drive down mid-braver, you pick one in the beginning of the afternoon, and then at the end of the day, pick your place and go fish. At the end of the day, it's always very uh, active.
0: Okay. And are you doing a mix of you have the raft? Are you doing like half floating, doing walk and wade fishing too? So I, will, I offer wading
1: trips and I offer floating trips. And uh, so, yeah, I need 450 CFS to float. So the, the cubic feet per second is important because if I don't have 450 CFS, I'm not floating. So and that's that and then if it's over 1200 cfs or 2000 cfs i don't float anymore it's just too much yeah
0: gotcha okay wow and so if we're looking at this yeah it could be um and there's it sounds like there's a lot of good access just driving up walking waiting on that river
1: so the access on the farmington river is probably one of the best i've ever seen most of the river is state land oh wow so it's uh, free access to whoever wants to go. Amazing! Yeah, and you walk along the road, and you'll see all those little trails that disappear in the woods. Just follow those trails; they'll bring you to beautiful spots. Mm.
0: Yeah, there you go. So tons of that. Yeah, I see it. Yeah, the Penwood State Park. There's some other. Yeah, lots of state parks.
1: Yeah, we have, uh, American Legions. We have all those things. It's just it mainly it's it's all state
0: land. That's really cool. Yeah, gotcha. What would be if you were like in the off season when you're tying up dry flies? What's your main, what patterns are you tying up? I personally
1: like to tie uh, two types of fly. One is some kind of a cripple. And when I say cripple, I would not say cripple, cripple. I would say it's kind of a handicapped bug, like a, you know, it has a chuck in the back. Basically, the bug has hatch and it's still is stuck in his old scud. That bug can't fly, can't swim, can't, can't, can't. There is no handicapped parking space for bugs on the river. <laughs> it is food.
0: Right. <laughs> right. Yes.
1: So I type a lot of fly that looks that are having tons of trouble.
0: What would be a, I don't know if there's a, a name one, but what would be a, is there one out there we could look at or, you know, something similar?
1: So there is there is one I can describe, but it's probably easier. I don't know if there's a name for it. It's uh, basically it's a truck of antron tie on a scud hook, so slightly curved. Uh then you have a body made out of ears there, mainly with a little bit of orange color. Uh deer air puff straight up on top in the front a nice little orange nose, and that's about it.
0: Oh, wow. And what do you mean by your hair straight up? So not not back like an elk hair caddis, but just tie it?
1: Well, some kind of an elk hair caddis, but not as lay down, more up.
0: Yeah, sticking up more, like a, yeah. almost like a comparidon, but not a compared, not that way.
1: Correct, correct. Yeah, right, right. So, And that, that does very well. And then another fly that does very, very well is a fly that was designed by Yannick. And it is very simple to tie. It's uh, it's a lot of CDC. There is actually some CDC that are coming now to this country that have been treated that float. You can't sink them. It's impossible. Oh really? Oh yeah. It's just remarkable.
0: Oh wow! Even in like heavy water, they're just they float like like foam.
1: Yeah. Ask me that again. But first, let's finish that fly. But the that fly is very simple. It's Coque de Leon tie for the tail. Uh, then you attach a piece of CDC by the tip. Then you put a little bit of dubbing on the on the body of the fly and make what that dubbing is very, very minimal. The bug is extremely skinny. And then you wrap that CDC feather all the way to the head. And every wrap you do, you just pull the hair up. And then when you're done, you secure it. Put a little puff of uh, dubbing in the front. And that's it. And that stuff... Um, sits in the water. I tie them in size 18, 16, 14, and I tie them in yellow, beige, brown, green, red, and black. And that's it. And with that fly, I pretty much cover every need I have. It replaces. It's, the fly is extremely buggy. It moves on the water. So the CDC moves on the water. And then you can, you can activate that fly very easily. On the water, also. So basically, you're, instead of having a fly that's like every fly, you know, that floats that drift, we have something alive, and so fish really like that. So yeah, I've been doing very well with that fly.
0: Wow, that is really sweet. So basically, it's a so it's not just your typical um Adams parachute that just sits on the water and floats down. This is actually no. moving, and are you twitching it and stuff like that too?
1: Yeah, so the, the thing is, you know, we saw in the, in the fly fishing industry a huge change in the past 10, 15, 20 years, which is the appearance of the and thing. And now we're seeing the revenge of dry fly fishing coming back. And we see uh, new casts that dealer flies differently in the water, which allows you to move those fly really nicely. And the whole thing starts with a a cast that would be very close to the Italian cast, where the back cast is fairly high, the rod tip moves very, very little. You're casting fairly short distance, and the fly hits the water first. Not your tippet, not your leader, not your fly line. The fly hits the water first. And at this point, you have dead drift, you have ability to move your leader around your fly, you have ability to do... Tons of things that you cannot do if your leader touched the water. Right.
0: So you're you're kind of, it almost sounds like you're doing a, it's like a Euro for dry flies kind of, where you, you have no no leader stick.
1: I think there's a bunch of Italian, bunch of French, bunch of Czech, bunch of people from Spain that suddenly uh, realized that dry fly fishing can make a difference when they come to competition. And uh, they started to pay very close attention to this. Also, we saw a resurgence of new young people that nymph, your nymph, your nymph, your nymph, and suddenly they lift up their nose, they see a fish rise, and they're like, What am I doing with this? I mean, how do I catch this? And they don't know how to dry fly. Right. And so there's been a lot of attention recently where we are trying to take those new uronymphers and teach them how to dry fly. And in order to get better results with dry fly, the whole system has to be, I would not say reinvented, but readjusted. So the traditional uh, loop-to-loop connection on your uh, fly line leader disappears. We have a tight nut on it. The leaders, they are tapered very aggressively. They're fairly long. So the whole thing is kind of, you know, it's a different, we we no longer want to fish the 9 foot 5X with a loop-to-loop connection. That just, I mean, it's nice when you're beginning fly fishing, but after a while, it it doesn't work.
0: This is awesome. I think people listening now are probably, I know I'm interested because I think that, uh, you know, Euro nymphing obviously has changed the game with nymphing. Even if you're not fully Euro nymphing, you know, it's people I just talked to somebody the other day. It was like, well, I'm using Euro nymphs, using those patterns just yep. on normal stuff. But yep. you're talking dry flies, So this is really cool because typically you think traditional, Not even traditional, but you go out there, you got your dry fly on, you see a fish rising, you cast to it, you know, your leader hits the water. But what you're saying is you cast with an upper angle. So the the fly hits first. How do you keep, once the fly, is it like really subtly kind of hitting the water or is it splashing or does it depend on what you want to do? Like, how do you keep that fly from like, if it's hitting the water first, how do you keep that from just zapping the water? Well, I would say this, I think we give too much credit to the fish. Mm.
1: I mean, you know, the the bird poop in the right. river, poop fall in the river, doesn't scare fish. Right. So why would a fly scare fish?
0: Yeah, yeah, it's a fly. We want them to know the fly's there, right? You want them to see it.
1: Yeah, I mean, you they see very well. You put that fly there, doesn't matter the way they land, bugs fall in the river, they jump, they lose their, their flight, they get hammered by birds, they fall back in the river, things happen. So, I mean, I would not smack my flies on top of a big fish 20 times on a row. That would not be a good idea. Don't get me wrong. But if if one of them hit the river and make it all splash and is in the right place at the right moment and does what the fish wants them to do, that fish is not going to argue with you. It's going to come and pick it up.
0: Gotcha. Okay, so, so this dry, so when you, and, and you're doing this hitting the dry first, is that mainly so the leader isn't spooking them or is that for control and the twitching of the fly?
1: It's for better control of basically the whole, let's put it this way. A, what is a good fly? A good fly is nothing else but a good cast. And that people don't pay attention to that. And what is a good cast? If you lay down your line on the water first, then your leader, then your tippet, then your fly, what happened is the following. And that is inevitably what happens: Your leader, your fly line hit the water immediately start to move with the current your leader touched the water and now your fly line is pulling your leader now your tippet lands on the water and your tip your leader is pulling your tippet and then when the fly arrives your tippet is pulling your fly. and everything drags and it just doesn't work
0: yeah you might get you might get a couple of seconds maybe of a of a dead drift but yeah you're not gonna yeah
1: right if you put your fly first the current pull the fly Now your tippet arrives, you can make, you can pile up your tippet. You can make your tippet go sideways with a curve cast. You can put your cast, you make a roll cast and replace your leader upstream from your fly. You can do a lot of stuff. Yeah. That's really cool. It opens gate to a lot of new gates. I mean, it's like, it's like a huge door on the wall. Please open it. There's more behind.
0: Today's episode is sponsored by Daiichi Fishing Hooks, a leader in the fly fishing industry and still the world's sharpest hook. Daiichi has been producing premier fishing hooks for the past 30 years, a timeless brand with a bright new future. And I have a great connection with Daiichi going back about as long as I can remember. I've tied thousands of flies using those Daiichi hooks I've tied many dry flies, wet flies, steelhead flies on their vast assortment of hooks. Never once had an issue on strength or quality, so very excited to get the good word out right now. Tempered with carbon-rich steel, Daiichi offers superior penetration without compromising the hook's structural integrity. If you want to support this podcast and a great hook company right now who has been producing high-quality hooks longer than most, check them out right now at wetflieswing.com slash Daiichi. That's D-A-I-I-C-H-I, Daiichi. You support this podcast and local businesses by clicking through that link to Daiichi. Okay, now back to the show. Let's talk about, you mentioned the leader. So typically, so you're not using a nine foot, whatever, just a tapered with a loop to What is your leader setup look like? Is this more of a super thin Euro type leader you're using for these dries? No. So for
1: my dry... I use a liter. it's about, the butt section is very thick. The butt section is 0.50 millimeter, Uh, 0.50 millimeter. How do you translate that? So to give you an idea, 0.50 millimeter is
0: 44 pound test. Oh, what, 44 pound? Yes. Oh, wow. We're talking huge. Yes, huge. My gosh, 44 pound. And I put, I put five feet of that. Wow. And then I put 0.4 millimeter,
1: which is 31 pound test. And then I put half of that distance. And then I put another half of that distance again on 20 pound test. And then I put half of that section again in 10 pound test. Then I put a cider that is going to be the equivalent of 3x or smaller. And then I have a loop at the end of my cider. And then I attach my tippet.
0: Oh, wow. And how long is your tippet?
1: And I fish six x, and I use um tippet that is anywhere from four to six feet long.
0: Four to six feet. So what is the total length of your leader from the 44 pound to your fly?
1: Um, 16 to 20 feet. But that first two sections are so thick that they transfer the power of the fly line very, very easy to, to cast. Don't be afraid of the legs. Yeah.
0: Okay. And is that why you do that? Why not just, um, you know, start with twenty pound? You know, at the butt end.
1: Let's put this way, I am researching to eliminate anything that disturbs what I want to do. And so, a smaller butt section is not going to transfer the energy as well as a bigger one. And I, there's a difference in diameter between the fly line and my tippet and my leader that is so huge that it's not going to transfer properly. So I'd rather have a big one.
0: It's all transfer of energy. And, and, that, and that goes back to mainly like, well, just like you're right? The casting is such a challenge for many people, but is that kind of here too, that you want the nice transfer for your casting?
1: You want your nice transfer for the casting and you want to cast the fly, not the line.
0: Oh, right. Cast the fly. Yeah. So when you're, so if you have a fish out there, say 15, 20 feet in front of you, does that happen often where you're just basically casting the leader? Yep. So short, like right in close, you could, you could do that.
1: Yep. And cast the leader. Yes. I try to avoid that. It's easier with a fly line on.
0: What's your line? What's your line you're using there?
1: The whole system has to match. Everything has to match each other. So I use I use an eight or eight and a half foot long rod, four weight. And then I use a double taper uh, line, three weight, and I cut the taper off. So basically, I'm, I am in my running line. a lot more uniform because those big forward like the head those weight forward line they're just too brutal they're too heavy they're too big they're propelling things like a cannonball i mean it's it's great if you want to cast in a parking lot 80 feet yeah beautiful
0: right but for trout so you're saying you take a double taper line and you cut it down
1: yeah i cut a taper line double taper line i cut the taper off and so i get thinner fly line that is closer to the diameter of my leader, et cetera, et cetera. And then my leader is like, you know, you take five feet, then you take half, then you take half of that, then you take half of that and half of that. You just keep on com- going cut half. So it's a very aggressive taper.
0: Oh, I see aggressive taper. Why, right, Yeah, and, and the double taper line is another line that, You don't hear a lot about, you know, most people, or you hear a lot more about the weight forwards and like double tapers. I remember double tapers when I was a kid using a lot of those, you know, just because they made a lot of sense. They were nice to cast. They, um, you could switch them around and have two lines basically once. Yeah. That's right. Um, But what you're saying now, remind me again. So what you're saying is you're, you have a double taper and first with the double taper for those don't, don't know, describe what the taper looks like from the tip where your leader is. Does it start small or big? And then how does it taper?
1: It starts kind of small, then it gets a little bigger into your running line. Basically, the the double taper is kind of a, has some kind of a two head section, uh, but they're not weight forward. And that's 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 the thing is you don't want the weight forward. And we're going to see this more and more, I believe. The weight forward is excellent to sell a rod. If you give somebody a rod and a weight forward line. In the parking lot and they cast 60 feet, you made a sale. Right. If you give them them a a double taper and they can't cast 40 feet, you will not sell your rod. So the industry is pushing this, but it's really not helping the angler. It's helping the retailer. And I'm not here for the retailer. I'm here to fish.
0: Yeah. So you like the double taper line. And then when you cut it down... So you're cutting it off. Describe that. So what part of it, if it starts thin, so you're cutting off some of that thin part of the double taper? So
1: I have a, like a three weight. I probably will cut off three
0: feet of it. Yeah. Okay. Three feet. And you're doing that just to make it match the, like the fat thick leader you're using. Exactly. And then you'll. I don't have that thinner
1: section going down and then back to my, no. I want everything uniform, as uniform as possible.
0: Well, I was just talking to somebody the other day. It was funny because we were talking about some gear and he was talking about boots and he said how he was at one of the shows. I think it was ICAST or something. And one of the, one of his competitors was coming in and just chit chatting, but they were taking pictures of like his products. And he was like, he's like, what are you doing? He's like, this is like, are you, you know, because he had these new kind of innovative products. And so, and you hear that a lot about the industry. Maybe this is every industry, but you know, you have a new idea, it's going to get copied. You know, there's just no way around it, right? I mean, that's just the way it is. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, interesting. You want to hear about new boots? Yeah, give us some stuff. We want to get some, this is, the, you know, this is where it's at. Give us some uh, insight. Okay, Bestar. B-E-S-T-A-R-D. Oh, ba- bestard. B-E-S-T-A-R-D. Oh, Bestard. Yeah, Bestard. And now what's the deal with these? They make boots for people
1: who uh, explore cavern and caves. They make boots for people who do kayaking in very extreme situation. Basically, they make boots for people who are in a very, very wet environment and need to grip. So I use those for wedding boots.
0: Oh, you do? So you use these for like, and it's just a rubber sole?
1: It's a Vibrant sole that's made just for this with some kind of a, There's, it feels like there's some kind of sand mixed with the huh. sole. It grips like there's no tomorrow. It's light like a pair of Snickers. I love them.
0: There you go. Yeah. This is sweet. Nice. This is a good tip. Yeah. I haven't heard of those. So we'll put a link to Best Start.
1: Now I just lost my endorsement.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. Bestard. This is awesome. Well, good deal. Okay. So we got, we got the boots, we got some lines. So, and I was just, um, we had a podcast with uh, Tim Ray Jeff, and it's really interesting to hear about this lines and, and the rods because we talked, he got kind of nerdy and we're going to bring him back on to talk about the rods and, you know, because there is a lot of, um, yeah, there's a lot of th- stuff people don't understand about how things are made, right? And it sounds like you're you guys are taking it to another level and doing your own thing, which is always awesome because that's like the innovation, right? That's where the industry keeps growing.
1: But well, yeah, and, and the, the sooner you're informed, and the sooner you can mix your knowledge to it. So you take you take a pair of bastard boots, well, with my uh, felt boots, I'm not going to jump from one rock to the next. With those, I feel comfortable that that boot is going to grip way plenty for me to land properly.
0: Oh, wow. Even on uh, with like um, like lots of, um, you know, aquatic vegetation, algae?
1: Algees, stuff, it just grips everything. It's unreal, unreal.
0: Amazing. And you don't use studs or anything? Nope. No studs. Wow. Nope. Okay.
1: And that eliminates all the problems we have. Well, most of the problem we have was black not and transmitting disease because those boots dry very quickly.
0: Mm, okay good right so we got some boots and we we're talking line so we got the double taper idea you got you talked about your leader and the eight eight and a half foot four weight um and yeah so and then we got we have a few flies so i think we've got a good setup for dry flies i mean when you're out there sounds like you're just as equally capable your own nymphing versus dries is it how do you choose when you have a, a new person coming in you're working with what you're going to fish
1: so usually what i do is I ask them what is their goal and what do they want to accomplish? And we do this. And as we do this, I introduce a whole bunch of new things to them. But it's still in the same direction of their goals. So we try to achieve their goals, but we're trying to use what I know could work better. And so far, I would say out of 100, 100 of them have switched to what I think.
0: Right. That's a great thing is that you've got some unique ideas so and it's not it's not
1: my ideas i don't want to take credit for it i mean i copy a lot of things that are arriving from europe uh if i see something that is really nice i'll be the first one to promote it and i see tons of stuff that are not worth even talking about so you know there is there is the whole array but i don't invent anything what i do is i take what i see new and i try to adapt it to what i do personally And considering where I am, I'm going to kind of reinvent the wheel on my side.
0: Mm, Yep. Make it apply to your the Farmington or whatever your local river is. Yeah, it's like the new flies. There's no such a thing as a new fly. There's a
1: modification of an old fly.
0: Yeah, right, right. But the stuff we're talking about here. Yeah, that's CDC. The CDC, right? Yeah, that's a killer point.
1: So the CDC, there's a new CDC in the market. It's called Magic CDC. Hmm. So basically there's a guy in France that, uh, has basically cornered the market for puffy. So he provides CDC feathers for people like Mammoth, like uh, all those big brands that send people climbing the Himalayas. You know, they have those puffy uh,
0: jackets. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is a new, this is actually for dr- uh, coats, warmth.
1: Exactly. And so those people have, though, that's what he does. And then he met Yannick and Yannick told him, well, listen, can we do something with the CDC? The guy looked at me formula. And then started to treat CDC differently, and it is unreal. That stuff doesn't sink. So you can you cast with fish, you take the fly off the mouth of the fish, you blow air on it, you recast, and that fly looks brand new.
0: Wow. So you're not putting any fly floating on it?
1: No, you don't need to. Amazing. Wow, another chip. I was used to do something similar. I used to spray or rain X on the fly.
0: Oh, Rain-X, nice.
1: It works very well. Yeah. The problem is it's very chemical. Yeah. Right. So uh, that process the guy does in France is absolutely natural. And boy, you take a piece of CDC, you drop it at the bottom of a glass of water, you let it go, it goes, it pierces the surface and floats.
0: Jeez, magic CDC. Magic CDC. Oh, and where can you get this this magic stuff?
1: It's not here yet.
0: Mm. What about Yann? Or uh, is it? Uh, I'm trying to think of the name of the website. It's the um. Yannick's website, or not Yannick. um, Remind me again.
1: So Yannick does all those things too. So Yannick is involved with that CDC thing.
0: Yeah, the Floating Fly. There you go right there. We'll we'll put a link in the show notes. Thefloatingfly.com is is Yannick's um, website.
1: Right. And then there is one more thing that we may want to pay attention to and talk about. And we've seen this in the world of competition for years. But recently, there is uh, a company in Switzerland called P-E-U-X. And they make a reel at the heart of watchmaking country. And that reel is made virtually like a Swiss watch. It's very, very well made. It's not casted. It's it's you know prime, you know, metals, it's all handmade, it's it's beautiful. And those are semi-automatic reel with a handle. And one press of the handle and you will retrieve three meters of line, which is twelve foot one, that's almost ten sheets of line. You press one finger on the on the handle, 10 feet of line up back in the reel.
0: Oh, wow. And now what's the name of the reel again? So the reel is called uh, P-E-U-X.
1: Then the second word is Fulgor, F-U-L-G-O-R. And they make them in three sides, one, two, and three. And I use the one.
0: And these are kind of like semi-automatic reels. Correct. Yeah, yeah. I just had a guest, or I was talking to somebody about that. He's... He's in the US. He has a semi-automatic reel. And he was talking about how it hasn't caught on in the US, but over in Europe, it's very popular.
1: Very popular. And we're going to see this more and more. So I've been I've been uh working with Poe. Uh, I think you can find out those Poe on David Olsen's website, Tactical Fly Fisherman Tacticals.
0: Oh, Devin has him. Oh, that's right. And so the person I was talking to, this is cool because the person I was talking to also said that Devin was you know recommending right so that's the thing so that's obviously the connection now is that europe is is kind of leading the way on this a little bit a lot right
1: yes and it's all the same people
0: so is it if you were to go over there you know if, if you haven't been to europe you're going over there and you're on the water are you going to see like half the people with semi-automatic reels or not that's not quite there yet
1: probably not probably not
0: no but do you think it's going to get there
1: well i'm getting my two new one probably in the next three weeks so
0: yeah what is the, with the semi-automatic reel, because I think a lot of people here, including myself, I, I was like, oh man, the, I remember my dad had the old automatic reels back in the day. And it was funny because I don't think I ever fished one, but I remember playing with them and being like, oh, this is kind of cool, but it, it seemed kind of, but the, tell us the, the diff, first of all, the difference between a semi-automatic and an automatic reel, and then why would you want a semi-automatic over just a regular reel?
1: The automatic, you have to rewind it. So you rewind it and then you push and then it comes back. The semi-automatic is a mechanism with a with bunch of wheels, like a watch. And you have a lever, which has teeth, and those teeth start to move one wheel, which move another one, which move another one, which move another one, and reel at high speed. So with a very short leverage move, you move those wheels at high speed inside your reel, and they pick up the line real fast.
0: Right. And that is a, that is a, a challenge, because a lot of times you're up there fishing, trout fishing, whatever you got a bunch of slack sometimes hanging down and th- basically this helps you pick up the slack and get the fish on the reel right away that's the number one it's not for like you're going to be reeling the fish up the whole time with this thing
1: yeah yeah i mean i use a weeding staff uh when i use that reel the line never gets caught in my weeding staff it's just so those simple little things that make your day so much more pleasant
0: right 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 this is good so if somebody wanted to pick up one of these you were saying the the pew of fluger. Is one company that has them. So I I would say you
1: can pick it up. I'm sure David Olson has some. Yeah, that's right. And then you you just go buy directly from the company. Otherwise,
0: yeah, he does right there. Yeah, I'm looking at him now. So tactical fly Fisher. And Devin's been on the podcast a couple times here. He's actually he's going to be back on with Phil Roy to talk Stillwater soon. But um, yeah, this is amazing. So it, it looks just like a normal reel. It's just got this this pointy. Trigger thing sticking off the end, which is your your auto, and um yeah.
1: I mean, you know, it's and it all comes from all those info. I get them from Yannick. I get them from other people in France, but I get them from Yannick. And when it comes, I have people from the US team coming to fish with us. I have people high position people at Orvis coming fishing with us. I'm not mentioning any names because yeah, it's not the point.
0: Tom Rosenbauer. <laughs> Just joking.
1: <laughs> well, actually, it is. Yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah. right. Yeah, we spent a day with them. It was fun.
1: But it's uh, people, want they want to know. And it's yeah. not the average joke. It's people in the industry want to know. Right. It
0: is. Well, you want to be, yeah, just like anything you want to be on. To. This is great. I'm glad you dug into this because I think this has been on my mind. I've just heard about it a little bit. So. So we talked gear. What else before, you know, just thinking about the, and we're going to take it out of here pretty quick. But when you think about, we've been talking Farmington, dry flies, you know, well, let, let's get in. I got a couple of questions here. Um, let's get a couple of questions from our listener uh, mailbag here. But um, so, you know, I know last time you were on, you talked about stripers a little bit. And, you, and that might be, if we do a trip up there with you, that might be something we do where we hit a little bit of salt, we'd hit a little bit of fresh. But is there a, this is a question we had, is there a, um, a rod and reel? combo that kind of does freshwater and salt water. So my
1: response is the following. You can shoot an elephant with a 12 gauge. Mm.
0: It's not going to be pretty. Right. It's going to be ugly. Yeah, yeah. That's it. So basically the answer to that one is it is no. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And then and another question from the mailbag is um I think this was from uh, Dylan. He was talking about casting. And we haven't talked about streamers today. I'm not even sure if you do much streamer fishing, but he was Dave, talking about Dave. Yeah.
1: Let's put it this way. We fly fish, not to catch a fish. If we wanted to catch a fish, we would go to the store and buy one. <laughs> right. Yes. So if we fly fish, we want to do it well, and we need multiple rods, we need multiple reels, we need multiple of everything, we need multiple flies, multiple leader, multiple boots, multiple boats. We want a lot of stuff.
0: Yeah, you want it all. So if you were fishing, so if you were fishing streamers, and Dylan's question was you know, casting streamers, he's been struggling casting streamers. If you have, what is it would be a tip for casting a heavy fly, like a big giant, you know, imagine you got this huge streamer. What would you do? Do you do much of that? So a weight forward line
1: definitely will help. Uh, Maybe a sinking tip line would help. A longer rod will help, a 10-footer. I do a lot of my streamer fishing, which I'm not a streamer fisherman. Yeah, I'm not fanatic about it. Right, right, right. I can't be the best at everything and I'm not best at anything anyway. So, you know, I mean, you can't be doing everything right. No. But I mean, a longer rod helps me. You know, you take a 10 foot seven weight and you cast humongous trim
0: and it feels like a marine. Mm, Gotcha. So the long rod helps. So, So you'd rather go longer than shorter with a big heavy fly. Yes. Gotcha. Okay. That makes total sense. Nice. Okay. Well, and so back in into the Farrington, you know, for any, any other, you know, thinking about, you know, throughout the year, let's just think we're going to be coming there late June, early July. We're going to be hopefully hitting some, maybe some sulfur, some dries. I, I'd love to go there. The Euro thing is something I would love to do, but I would love to kind of learn and, and dial in the dry fly fishing. Any other tips on if we were getting ready for that trip for dry fly fishing? I mean, if somebody's coming there, they're planning their trip. You've given us a few flies. Maybe just talk about that. What else should we have in our box to to be ready for this uh, like June, July dry fly
1: Basically, um, it's not really the fly.
0: Mm, right. It's not the fly.
1: If you want to have fun fishing somewhere, open your mind, look at different things, fish differently, uh, learn new things. And that's what's going to bring you a lot of more fish. I heard this one day is... Somebody telling others, don't you try to catch a fish, try to do five things right, and you'll catch tons of them. I think we're getting lost into too many flies, too many, too much. And, you know, yes, you bring your your regular fly that you have at home. Yeah. Bring them, bring them. I'm sure some of them will work. And then when you're there, you know, maybe bring your vice. And then you see what's out there and now, okay, we change direction that night. You type a few more flies for you tomorrow morning. And then if you come and I'm around, don't bring your flies.
0: I got tons of them. Yeah, you got tons of them. So if they're, they're, and I love that tip. That is a great point that like, it's not about the fly. It's about learning and observing. So if you see something happening, like say you've never seen really the sulfurs, you know, how do you know what? to put on what size, what fly, you know, parachute versus a cat skills dry versus whatever else, right? Does that even matter?
1: Well let's put it this way. The sulfur, I fish them with two different flies. I fish them with one, the one I mentioned earlier, that, you know, with a little chuck, and instead of the deer hair on top, I put uh, ears and a little bit of puff of rabbit hair for the wings. I put yellow body. I put a little chuck in the back size Eighteen or twenty, and that does, does the work. Very visible, easy to see. You put it in the water, it drifts, it moves a little bit. Boom, fish eat. That's it. The other one is I use Berzius, which is that CDC fly is called Berzius. Let me spell this for you. <laughs> <laughs> it's B E R Z I double L E U S E. So it's called Berzius. And Yannick gave that name to that fly. Berzier means, I don't know what it means. It's like uh, attacking fish, or I don't know what. Uh, but uh, I tied that fly in size uh, 18 with a yellow body, a lot of CDC, and uh, the fish love them. If you have the right silhouette, the fish will eat it.
0: Yeah, that's it. Then, like we said, probably you know getting a fly closer to you know roughly the size range not the doesn't have to be perfect but like you said casting it where the flys hitting first is probably more important than the getting the exactly matching the hatch
1: yes yes i mean what what is the secret of a good dry fly cast the secret of a good dry fly cast is a curve cast
0: curve cast
1: either side left or right it doesn't matter
0: and what is it describe that what is a curve cast
1: well you're going to cast forward and then you're going to kill the energy in your fly line by dropping the tip of your rod, and then your line is going to land. Your fly will land on the water first, and then your tippet, then your leader, and all of this going to be upstream from your fly because you've killed the energy so the fly, the leader never unfolded. And then your fly line comes back at you, and now you have a fly line going straight upstream in front of you, and it makes a, like a, an N shape, like it goes up and it goes around, down towards you. And that's it. The key is to present a fly that the fish cannot refuse. Present a fly where the fish only see the fly and only the fly. So hiding tippet and leader and all that away from the fish. So whatever, whatever the fish is positioning, that fly arrives
0: first. Gotcha. Could you just put, I mean, some people might be thinking, you know, you just put in some really thin... You know, fluorocarbon leader that's super, super thin, and that'll be good enough. The fish can't see it, so it lands on the water. But you're saying, I mean, could fish see that? The thinnest, you know, whatever, 7, 8X, can fish still see that?
1: Okay, so I'm going to put the whole industry in my back. I do not use fluorocarbon. I do not use fluorocarbon. It's too stiff. Too stiff. It just, it disturbed my fly, and it's awfully expensive. Right, it's
0: expensive, and it's stiff. Is it stronger? Yeah, it is. It's stronger, yeah.
1: But I don't, I don't. I never look at strengths. So I look at stretchiness. Mm, yeah,
0: so it doesn't stretch. That's the problem. Like a regular uh, a non, the mono does stretch more. Exactly. You
1: know, I'm going back to what what I mentioned last time is you don't pull cargo ships with chains. No, you pull cargo ships with nylon rope that have less pound test, but don't. Buy.
0: Oh, right. You pull cargo ships with rope. Yeah, they don't. They're not pulling them with chain. Right. If the chains on the anchor. That's the only place you see chain.
1: Yes. And actually the more you see chains, after the chain is going down with your anchor, it's attached to a nine rope. Right.
0: Right. 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 This is awesome.
1: Yeah. Those things like that are too stiff, they break. They reach the breaking point and that's it. Where the stuff that's flexible, it stretched before it reached the breaking point, which lets you know that it's going to arrive. So it gives you a warning. This is awesome.
0: All right, Antoine. I mean, this has been a fun one. I think um, yes, we've taken this another level. I think we're going to definitely have to keep in touch with you, and uh, you know, probably put another one of these together down the line. Um,
1: yeah, we should we should have more of those, and and we should bring people together and come and fish on the Farmington.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's keep in touch on that. So I think maybe some sort of a clinic or something where we can get some people out in that neck of the woods doing something out there is, and that's something you have that experience, right? With the Orvis, you know, basically that was, you talked on the last episode about that, how the the teaching and the schools, you've done all that, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I don't, I don't do any lesson. I don't do any clinics. I do sessions.
0: Sessions. Yeah.
1: Because they're a lot more friendlier. Uh, We all suck at fly fishing anyway. So um, let's make session of fly fishing.
0: Yeah. And how is a session different from a clinic?
1: It's not a classroom. It's a fun event. We're having fun and learning in the same process. We're not sitting with a pen and a paper in our hand.
0: Yeah, perfect. All right, well, we'll uh, send everybody out. Just uh, search up the French fly fisherman uh, on Google and they can find you. And uh, yeah, we'll be in touch with you. And hopefully uh, we'll get this trip together soon and then see you there in Connecticut, A state. I'm checking off the states. Hopefully I can see you here this next year.
1: It's a beautiful state. Come on. Awesome. Come on up, come on sideways, come every direction.
0: All right, Yeah, Twan. We'll, we'll be in touch with you. We'll uh, talk to you soon. Thank you. That is a wrap. You can grab all of the show notes at wetflyswing.com. And please follow us on Instagram and share this episode out with someone you love. Please send me an email, dave at wetflyswing.com if you have any feedback or want us to put together an episode on this podcast for you. Check in anytime. I hope you enjoyed this podcast and would love to meet up with you on the water. We have new fly fishing schools going all year long and all around the country. So if you want to connect, let's do it right now. All right, time to get out of here. I hope you have a great evening. I hope you have a great morning or great afternoon wherever in the world you are. And I appreciate you for stopping by and checking out the show today. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com.